Amen. 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 Wow. All right. We're ready? Um, so before we begin, I want to say it's good to see Josh back from boot camp. So are, is it official? You, it's official. He's a Marine now. Um, so praise the Lord, you survived boot camp. That's apparently one of the hardest things you can do in life and with the Marines too. So wow, good job. Um, praising the Lord for just a, an amazing day that we have together. And as we gather as the church, I wanted to just kind of give us an understanding of um, something that God is, is placing on us as a body is, I've been hearing this, you know, over and over and over, um, but God is moving in this church, and this is one of the um, best places to be in the world right now, amen? Um, to be together, to worship, to be in His presence, to um, have fellowship um, in a healthy church body that uh, honors Christ and uh, loves one another and uh, uh, presents his word and, and reaches people. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of overwhelming to just think um, what God has done, what he's blessed here. And so today, you know, we're talking about this issue of um, some people don't believe in organized religion. You ever heard that before? You've heard the, it's kind of like an excuse, I think, for some people. I don't, I don't believe in organized religion is, uh, is trying to put you off to say, I don't want to go to your church because I don't believe that there's really any value in going to church. And, uh, you know, we have a few hundred people here today that would say, uh, I beg to differ. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of value in, in uh, being part of a church body and worshiping and being together uh, as a church. And... Uh, the thing that that statement tries to present is an idea, okay? The idea is spirituality is okay, you know, uh, Christianity may be even okay. And you, maybe you've heard people say this, I, I like Christ, I just don't like the church. Um, and sometimes, you know, we could almost agree with that. <laughs> there are times when we say, you know, there, the church has issues, the church has problems, there's, there's some things that... You know, we, we'd like to fix about a church, our church, other churches, the church, you know, so to speak. But um, it's, a, it's a false statement because Christ established the church. We don't get to pick whether or not we like the church or not, whether we think that it's okay to be a Christian without the church or I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Or he... he founded the church. He said, I will build my church. And so um, what happened was that we, we heard this about a month ago. Peter and Jesus are having a discussion. All the disciples are there. And uh, they, he was asking them, who do people say that I am? And I'm sure you remember the answers were, oh, you're the prophet. Um, that some people say that you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some people say that you're Elijah come back. You're, and so they're talking about all these things, and, and they're referring back to some things in the Old Testament. They're referring to the things that are happening in that day that people were saying. People say all kinds of stuff, right? And he, he finally says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter spoke up, 
and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says that you, you didn't say that on your own. It's not just because you're really smart, Peter, or that you're really spiritual or faithful. He says, the father revealed that to you. And then he said, on this rock, he says, you, you are Peter. And on this rock is Peter in Greek is Petros, which is rock. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. And there's been this age-old disagreement about the, the meaning of that. Okay, so the Catholic Church says that Peter is the first pope and that all the popes that followed him were in succession, and so that's the real church, and then any church that doesn't have that is not really the church. And we disagree. Um, I won't go there. So the statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is what Jesus is going to build his church on. That, that is the issue. Because in everything else that we see in Scripture is that Jesus is going to refer to the church as his body, as his bride, as his house, as his family, that the church is, is very important to him. He established it. He said, I will build it, and he will empower it. He says, where two or more gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. And so what happens is that when two people who are coming uh, together, meeting together for the purpose of glorifying Christ, honoring Christ in his name, then he says, I'm right there with them. Okay, so trying to understand that a little bit, it can be difficult. But just, just to get a picture of what's going on, if you and another Christian get together and have coffee, that's not the church, Okay, that's a nice thing, and, and that's great, and that's wonderful, but that's not the church. When you and another Christian get together for prayer, when you and another Christian get together for some purpose that is honoring Christ in his name, then he says, I'm there in the midst of them. And not, not as if, if you're on your own, he's not going to be with you, because we know that he will always be with us, but that he will empower you in a special way, in a purposeful way, in a meaningful way, to bear fruit, to do something for his kingdom, but... There are conditions, right? The condition is you have to get together in his name and for his glory. So you go all the way to Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, and he starts to clarify the conditions a little bit. And he says, if you don't repent, I will remove your lampstand. And before that, he had told us clearly, the lampstand is a church, a particular church, a body. I will remove your lampstand. So he says, it's so important to me that if you don't glorify me, if you don't honor me, if you don't continue to follow me as the head and as the leader and as the one who is to receive the glory because you are the Christ, the son of the living God, and salvation is only known through him, not through anything else, anywhere else, any how else, okay? He's the only way to the Father. If you don't do that, you don't get to be a church. You don't get to be empowered by the Spirit. You don't get to have his blessing, his protection, his, his sense of awe and wonder and power that we depend on. Amen? So what will happen is that some churches will cease to exist because they lose track of what the point is. And he'll say, no. If you're not going to do what I've called you to do, then then that church will not continue to exist. 
Some churches will continue ex- to exist and they will have no power. And they will be churches that are empty of the spirit. And yet they continue to function as a organization. So I don't, I mean, this, this thing about I don't believe in organized religion is, in some sense, I agree. I don't believe in organized religion either. I believe in the body of Christ. But that's what we need to understand today. What is the church? What do we do? Why do we exist? Why am I here? So let's stand as we read God's word this morning to uh, get a better picture, a little bit more understanding about what the church is. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 21. This is picking it up in the middle of this whole illustration. We'll, we'll understand it as we go. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us your great love and care and value for your body, Lord. But you also clearly tell us that you are the head of this church in every church, you decide. You decide how much power you're going to give to continue to do your work. You, you decide whether we continue to exist or not, whether we continue to, to find your blessing or if we continue to go on our own. Um, the removal of that is such a terrifying thing, Lord. We want to honor you. We want to lift you up. We want to be a church, a body, a, a group uh, that uh, makes sure that you are the one that we worship and nothing else. That you are the one presented and nothing else. That you are the one that gets to lead us in whatever direction that you would have us go. And, and not our will, but yours be done. And show us how, Lord, we pray. Show us what it is that you want us to do, believe, understand, and we'll give you all the glory. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. And we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So I had a, a question. Um, I have a few of my answers here. But the question is, why do people go to church? And maybe more specifically, why do you go to church? Um, what, what, are the, what are the reasons? And I, I had all kinds of reasons why I thought maybe people went to church. One is, um, I need it. Anybody feel that way? I, I need to be in church. Um, one, one guy, as he left the 8 o'clock service, says um, it's uh, like sword sharpening. You know, <laughs> I, I get dull through the week, and I need sharpened, and uh, I just I need that. Um, and I, that's a, and all these are legitimate, okay? I'm not going to say any of them are not legitimate. Um, one is, uh, I am needed. I feel like I'm needed there, that I have 
something to offer, something to give, something to do that, that the church needs, that the kids need, that the, my class needs, that people, you know, if I didn't do that thing, then there'd be a gap in the ministry of, of our church. I need to, I, I'm needed in that church. Um, some maybe would feel guilty. Anybody <laughs> feel guilty if they weren't in church? Anybody ever skipped church and didn't have a good reason? And you're like, later that afternoon, you're like, man, I should have went to church. Nobody? No? It's not Drew? Yeah. I would feel guilty. Um, and then maybe this goes along with it. I ought to. I'm supposed to. It's like I'm, it's a good thing to do. I'm, it's just where I need to be on Sunday morning uh, because it's the right thing. So I'd feel guilty. I ought to maybe go together. Um, it's what I've always done. Some people don't really think much about it. You ask them, why do you go to church? Well, I've always gone to church. I grew up going to church. I just go to church because that's what you do on Sunday. And uh, maybe you haven't really thought much more past that. Not that there's not, that there's not faith there. Not that they, you don't really believe. But it's just kind of uh, one of those things where it's a habit. And let me say this. It should be a habit. You should be in the habit of being in church. It, it should be something that you just automatically, that's... I'm going to be in church because it's Sunday, and that's where I need to be. And so that's okay. Now, you need to have more meaning behind it than just that it's a habit, but it should be a habit. Um, some uh, would say, I am forced. <laughs> my mom, my dad, my husband, my wife, you know, somebody is kind of making me <laughs> go to church. Um, and again, that's not all bad. Um, I mean, it may be bad if you never get to the point where you want to be there yourself, but we have a culture right now that is so permissive. We just let everybody, all our kids just make their own decision. Whatever you want to do, you just do, you know. Man, that just is something wrong with an adult not having the wherewithal to know that you know better for your kids than they know for themselves when they're little tiny kids, right? I mean, they shouldn't be picking their gender and they shouldn't be telling you they're not going to church when they're five. Okay, thank you. (laughs) Somebody expects me there. Again, that can be a good thing. I'm... I'm expected there. Somebody, somebody is waiting for me. I'm going to sit with somebody. They're going to hold a seat for me. I'm expected to be there. Um, maybe it's because I belong. I belong there. I feel a sense of belonging there. I love to be there because it's like home, like my home away from home, either Sunday morning or through the week or any time. I just... When I come on the property, when I come into this building, when I see those people out in public, because guess what? The church is not, it is a building, but it's not really just a building. It's the people. And I just feel like that sense of belonging. And some would say that it's out of obedience to Christ. I mean, he says, this is what we ought to do. And in my faith, in my walk with him, I love him. I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And that's what he says I need to do, and so I'm going to do that out of obedience. And maybe it's 
some of all of those things at different times. Maybe one week it's one thing, maybe a different week it's a different thing. Maybe it's a combination of several things all at once. And that's all okay. That we have this sense of why, why am I here? But here's the ultimate question and the point is, does church matter to you? And then do you matter to the church? Both of those should be yes. And if you don't feel like one or the other of those is a yes for you, then hopefully we can answer some of the questions or deal with some of that, I- that issue because the church does matter. It matters to Christ, so it ought to matter to us. And you do matter to the church because you are the church. So Paul in 1 Corinthians is dealing with all of these things. There's a lot of dysfunction. Many of you know in, in the, the church in Corinth, there's just so much dysfunction, toxicity, error, problems, sin, you know, just all kinds of stuff going on. I won't get into all of it, but Paul is addressing Christians, okay? And so he's going to talk to Christians about one of the most important things about being a Christian, which is being part of the church. And, and I'm saying that because in our time and our culture right now, we have divorced the idea of being a Christian from being part of a church body, that as if those two things have very little connection to each other. In, in Scripture, you don't see that. You, if you are a Christian, you are part of a church body. That was automatic. When you got baptized, you got baptized not only into your faith, but you got baptized into a church body. It was it was instant. It was how it was. It wasn't, there wasn't a question if you get baptized whether or not you wanted to be a church member. It was you are a church member because you are part of Christianity. And this group of people is going to meet together and they're going to learn together and they're going to grow together and they're going to deal with each other's issues and they're going to help each other walk out the, the Christian life. That was just part of what it was. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter, starting in verse, or chapter 11, um, Paul starts to deal with some of the order that needs to happen. There's so much chaos going on in that church body that they had to deal with some of the dysfunction just because they were just all out of order. They didn't know what they were doing. They come together and there's just chaos, confusion. And, and so there's some order that needs to happen. So does there need to be some organization to the church body? And the answer is yes. There needs to be some organization. There needs to be some plan about how we do things. And then he goes into the Lord's Supper, and this was kind of an important issue because what they were doing was they were taking something important and spiritual and that was supposed to be a testimony about who we are as Christians. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We are part of a covenant that Jesus died in order to bring us into. And so when he died on the cross, he told his disciples, here's what is going to happen. Uh, I'm going to give you a new covenant in my blood. You're going to celebrate my death on the cross because on the cross, I'm going to pay for sin once and for all. And then my body, which is given for you, I want you to remember this way. Take in remembrance of me. I want you to take this bread. I want you to take this cup. And I want you to, as often as you do this, celebrate the fact that I died to pay for sin, that I, I died to pay for the law, that I fulfilled the law, that you don't have to, that you can have faith and you can be in, in, involved in this relationship with God that is permanent, 
And so we proclaim that when we take the Lord's Supper. We proclaim his death until he returns. So he's saying in 1 Corinthians, probably the most specific detail about how to do that the right way so that you can honor God, be a witness to the world, and not incur judgment on yourself in the process, right? The order, the the types of things that matter in the church. Because what they were doing, they were getting drunk, they were feasting, they they some people were not eating at all, and it was just such a mess. And here's why, is because they were so focused on themselves rather than the church, the others. It wasn't about being together. It was about what I'm going to do about me. And here's the biggest dysfunction in any church. It is the issue of selfishness. This is where any church will falter, fail, have problems, have sin. God will remove his presence. He'll remove his blessing. When the church body as a whole becomes selfish and it's all about me and what I'm going to get and how I'm going to do things and what I'm, my preference and, and we're not worried and focused and, and uh, discerning about what other people need what they're going through, how they're being affected, what is, what is good for all instead of what's just good for me. And so what happens is that now he begins to talk about this issue in, in chapter 12 about spiritual gifts. And we like spiritual gifts. We like to talk about spiritual gifts. And, and here's just a, a basic, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about it, but if you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit, then you have a spiritual gift. Amen. That gift, according to chapter 12, verse 7, has a particular purpose. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, spiritual gift, for the common good. So what is the point of your spiritual gift? It's for others. Whatever, whatever it is, it's for the growth, the benefit, the health, the purpose, the establishment, the productivity, the fruitfulness of the church in the world to continue to do things that glorify Christ, reach other people, disciple the people that are believers, to minister to people's hurts, to encourage people in their faith, to do all those types of things. Every person has a spiritual gift. And here's the one thing that you need to know about spiritual gifts. Anybody ever like... I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I'm not sure how to use it. I don't know where it fits into the church, right? This is a constant issue. Here's how you discern. Where are the needs? Where are the needs in our church? Where are the needs in our community? Where are the needs in the world? Where, where do people need something? And then you just step into that. It, your gift may change. Your gift may alter a little bit from season to season, uh, depending on where you're at in your walk, depending on where you're at in your maturity, depending on where you're at in your growth, in your understanding. It may change. It may grow. Maybe it starts out a small gift that you need to develop, and it becomes something that God can use in a more powerful way. But where it's, not, it's almost never going to be about you glorifying yourself, you finding some great purpose for you to be able to be exalted. If that is your mindset, 
how do I find fulfillment for me, then most likely God's going to say, you're not ready. Because whatever you're going to do for the kingdom is really not about the kingdom, it's about you. And he'll, he'll put you off. But when you're ready to serve other people for their benefit, for the, for the good of the whole, then he'll release you. Some people's spiritual gifts are dormant because their focus is not on how it can benefit the church or other people at all. It's about how it will benefit them. All the spiritual gift inventories that we have put out there and that people do and all that stuff, if your focus, I'm, I don't mean to get on this bandwagon too much or soapbox. Should I stop? <laughs> I was told I need to end early for our business meeting, so. Just understand that your spiritual, you do have a spiritual gift. The way you're going to dis- discover and discern it is to look around at the needs around you, not at yourself. Okay? So he goes on. Okay, and he starts to talk about this body image. And uh, the whole thing from verse 12 all the way through verse 27 is about this illustration about the body being a unit but having all these different parts. Now, we get that. We, this is, why he uses that is because every single human being knows how the body works. Okay? If something hurts, then, then my whole body is focused on that one thing hurting. If one thing, if I am good at one thing, then it's my whole body is rejoicing in that one thing that I'm celebrating. And so it, we all understand that your body is, is made up of all these different parts and pieces and things, but it, you are one person. And this is what he's saying about you are the body of Christ. And here's why he goes into that illustration, okay, is because we know for sure that the church exists to do evangelism. We exist to reach people for Christ, bring people into faith. That's why the church exists, right? We need to make sure that new people, our young people growing up, and the people of the world, and people around us, our community, our neighbors, coworkers, students, know Christ because he's the only way to the Father. That's, the church does evangelism. The church also does discipleship. We need to help people grow in their knowledge of God's word and following Christ and, and growing into maturity and being healthy and all those things. How all the pieces of scripture and faith implement into every area of your life, from work to family to finance to health to all of it, right? You're, we're discipling. He, Jesus says, go make disciples, teach them everything that I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. We get that. That's, these are obvious things. The church also exists to worship. So we get together and we sing, right? And, that, and almost inevitably, if the church is going to get together for any formal reason, we're probably going to sing some songs. And there, there's a reason for that. It's because we're told to in Ephesians. Ephesians 5, 18, 19 says, Be filled with the Spirit. And it says, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's something about singing that connects you with God and, and it connects you with other people. You feel that? I mean, I never get applause when I preach. But we sing a couple of songs this morning and we got the whole church, you know. <laughs> Woo! 
How come I don't get that? Thanks, thanks. And the thing is that it is evil for you to do that for, <laughs> for me because that would be about me. It's about the Lord. And what singing does is it gets us focused on Christ. And no matter how well you sing or how poorly, we can all belt it out together and we feel that connection of community together as a whole. And we praise the Lord in song and it encourages your heart and there's something about that. We get that. We do that every week without any need for explanation. We know that. It's part of what the church does. We sing. And then there's this thing that Paul's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body. And he, and he this is something that we kind of, I don't know that we diminish it. We do talk about it, but it's just not something that we elevate, which is the fellowship of the believer. That you and I ought to have a connectedness, a belonging together that is like family. It really is. We're, we're, like, a, we're like a body that you cannot distinguish one part from the other and, and then say, that's not part of the body. The eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you foot you don't see things like I do. That doesn't, that we know that that doesn't make any sense, and that's why Paul brings it up. It's this exaggeration of something, that your body would never do that. We know how much we need our feet. You ever have pain in your foot or leg or, or hip, and you can't move the way that you want to move? Like, are you like, well, it's just a leg. I don't care. <laughs> of course not. You're like, it's important. And your body knows that. And so, But we don't always elevate fellowship because it's like, well, fellowship, you know, yeah, we should kind of know people and get to know people and have friends and be friendly. And, and so we have greeters and we try to shake people's hands as they come in the door and we try to be nice to people and we kind of call that fellowship and that's not really fellowship. I mean, it's not like it's not part of fellowship, but that's not really what fellowship is, that we actually have this mutual care for one another to the extent that we are known we are loved when we feel like we do belong. And here's what happens, okay? When you don't feel like you belong, you will not be in a church for very long. Two types. I'm just going to talk about two. There are probably a lot. One is there are people who don't feel like they belong because they do not believe in Christ. And eventually that difference compels them to leave because it's not comfortable to be in a place where Christ is exalted when he's not exalted in your heart. And so it's easy to say, I'm not going to be there anymore because why would you, right? I don't belong to the body, so I don't really feel comfortable in that context. It makes sense. It's Now, here's what I will say just really quick as a in passing, we want people who don't belong to Christ to be in the church so they can hear the gospel and get saved and become part of the body of Christ. We're not saying we don't want them here. We do want them here. We want you here if this is you. 
We want you here as often as possible because we want to tell you the great news of Jesus Christ so that you can receive him as your Lord and Savior and diminish this sense of not belonging to the point of extinction, right? Okay. Keep messing with my eye. I need to stop doing that. Okay. The other sense of not belonging is they just don't feel connected to the church. People didn't call me when I wasn't here. I didn't get the type of attention that somebody else got. When I had my thing, they, they had their thing. They got calls, and I didn't get calls. Uh, somebody came and visited them. They didn't come visit me. They know their name. They don't know my name. Some people, um, uh, they come into church. Now, I'm not blaming anybody, okay? Sometimes, and we did this when we were on sabbatical, we went to churches where we were anonymous and we wanted it that way. We went to churches that were big purposely because we wanted to go in, worship, enjoy the service, and leave. We went in as consumers. We went in to receive something from this experience. We didn't go to be part of a body because we knew we weren't going to stay. We knew that we weren't coming back week after week. We were just going to go one time and be done. Now, I don't know if that's okay or not. That's just what we did. But there are sometimes in some churches, and maybe this church too, where people will come in and do that here week after week after week after week and never talk to anyone and never get in touch and never get involved and never be known intentionally because it's more comfortable to be an observer than it is to be a participant or to have a a connection that might be more personal. Why? I, I don't know all the reasons. I think one reason may be because we're trained this way through our culture right now. Social media has, has brought us into a place where we are observing lots of things and not really connected to anything. And over the years, I think this has kind of impacted people where they begin to think that if this is what church is about, I'm just going to go and I'm going to hear some good music. We have some good music here. I'm going to hear some good preaching. Some churches have good preaching. <laughs> and then I'm going to leave. And that's going to be it. And if there's not a connection to the body as, as a belonging, as a sense of being part of this thing and being invested in it, contributing to it in some meaningful way, then what will happen inevitably is that that person will leave. Now, another issue here is that we've been trained for the last 30 years to be consumers. Purpose-driven life. Okay, you've all heard that? Rick Warren's Purpose-Driven Life? That was about 10 years after he wrote another book called The Purpose-Driven Church. Anybody heard of that? The whole model of the purpose-driven church was basically meet people's needs as consumers. Be a church that meets their needs as consumers, and they'll come, and they'll love to come to your church because you'll just meet all their consumeristic desires, offer great music, give good preaching, good, good, good services and all this stuff and things that they like and solve all the, the problems that they don't like, and then they'll just be there. And we became consumers, and then we had Willow Creek, Bill Hybels Church over in Chicago, and it was a seeker-sensitive model. You've heard of that? It's seeker-sensitive. Some people love it, but here's the idea. 
you try to make the church. <laughs> they were evangelistic, but to some degree, so watered down that it's palatable to non-believers. We're trained. This generation of pastors trained to be pastors to this kind of a culture. People are consumers. They want to come. They want to enjoy. They want to feel comfortable. They want to get something from it. And we, <laughs> we, we have this mentality about church. If I don't enjoy it, which you should enjoy it. I mean, right? I mean, that shouldn't be miserable. Who <laughs> laughed? <laughs> but we forgot. We're, spart- we're supposed to be part of a, a body connected to each other, caring for each other, loving each other. And so in chapter 13... 1 Corinthians. What is chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians? You all know it. It was read at your wedding. The love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-serving, right? We, we, we read that at weddings. Um, we think that it's about marriage, love, and how to be a good husband or wife. That chapter is embedded in how to be a church. This is what it means to be part of the body of Christ. And so he says, you know, I can speak in tongues of angels and men, and I can, you know, do all these powerful things, prophetic powers, and I can reveal mysteries, and I can do all the, move mountains. But if I don't have love, then it's all meaningless. It's worthless. Because the, the point of the church is to love Christ and to love others. And it's not about being a church that just focuses on its mission regardless of people. There are churches that do that, have done that, and Jesus is not pleased with that, okay? It's not how he established the church, not how he created the church, not how he empowers the church. There was a pastor uh, some years ago, you may have heard of him, called Mark Driscoll. There's a very famous speech that he gave to the leaders of his church where he said, Mars Hill, that was his church, uh, Mars Hill is a bus, and you get on the bus, and you get in your seat on the bus in the right place, or you get run over by the bus. That's literally what he was commanding his church to get on the mission, because it was more important that the mission of the church do what it's supposed to do than about the people that were involved. And there were people getting run over by the Mars Hill bus left and right. And then, a few years later, what happened? Anybody know? Where's Mars Hill? This 10, 15,000 member church no longer exists. You talk about removing the lampstand. You say, if you're not on Jesus's page, I don't care how big, strong, powerful of a church you think that you are. If he's not pleased with it, you're nothing. This is what he's saying. I can do all these things. I can have all this power. I can do all these wonderful mysteries. If I don't have love for the people that we're here to minister to, then it it really is nothing. He says this, you know, just in case we get confused. 
chapter 14. This is, I mean, why, why do we know that chapter 13 is part of the church thing? It's because chapter 14, he says, pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So he's tying this together, and especially that you may prophesy. Now, what is he, what is he saying here? Prophes- I, I feel sometimes that I'm supposed to be a prophet. Like, I'm supposed to know the future and tell you, okay, this is what's going to happen next year, and this is what's going to happen in five years. And Guess what? I don't know that. I don't know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. I don't know what's going to happen next year. We seek to be faithful to the word, to do our best to honor Christ. He's got the future. But prophecy in this sense is not foretelling the future. It is foretelling the word of God. Understanding what does his word declare clearly, teaching that. He says, Desire prophecy, okay, especially that you prophesy, especially that you give understanding so that it's not just emotion that we're trying to feel something because we do need to feel things when we come to church. That's a good thing. But it better be under the umbrella, under the authority of knowledge and understanding because guess what? Everybody's feelings can't all be right. Somebody feels good, somebody feels bad, somebody feels angry, somebody feels depressed, somebody feels happy. That's not truth. That is personal experience based on your past, based on your present, based on things that are going on in your mind. The truth is absolute and it doesn't change. And we preach the truth and we tell the truth and we seek to declare the things of God's word so that no matter how we feel day to day, week to week, we can have confidence about who he is. I don't believe in organized religion. I believe in the body of Christ. I believe in the bride of Christ. And I believe that a big part of that is that I believe in you. I believe in what we are together when we honor him. Amen? Father, we thank you. There's so much, so much about your church, your will, your desire, your design. Can't even scratch the surface, Lord. We thank you that we have a lifetime to learn, to grow and understand and to work it out together. But help us, Lord, to be part of this body. This particular body, Lord, we want to belong to it that we feel a sense of community, a sense of care, that we care for one another, that we are known and that our identity is in Christ and that part of that is knowing that we have a family around us who cares about not only our eternity but our, our life, our day-to-day, our experiences, our hurts, our joys. And somehow, through your plan and purpose, you, you made it that way. You designed it that way for your glory. It's not about us. It's about you, but you care for us. And so we care for one another. We thank you that you made the church. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to just invite you this morning to respond to the Lord and the altar call generally is for a decision. Amen. Decision for the Lord. A decision 
to get with his plan, two things. One, some people have not bowed their knee to the Lord in, in submission, in obedience, in love, in respect and honor to say, my life is yours. I'm just going to invite you. That's, that is something you need to do. If you want to go to heaven, that's something you need to do. You don't go to heaven because you're a good person. You don't go to heaven because you think that you might believe in God. You go to heaven because you have submitted your life to Christ intentionally. So I invite you to do that this morning. The other thing is, there's church hurt. There's, there are painful experiences that people have had. There are things that people struggle with in church. Church is not a perfect place, and this is not a perfect church by any stretch. But would you lay that down this morning? Just say, whatever hurt that you may have had or have, lay it down because the church matters and you matter, and some of those things are tearing us apart. Amen? You don't want that. Lay it down. So I'm going to invite you to do that. Let's stand. Let's sing.